Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Connecting with your consumers and creating a memorable experience is key to help building your brand. Today, I'm chatting with Katie Peak, founder and creative director of Backlash, who are experts in helping create that experience. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today. So you are, and correct me if I'm wrong, a creative experiential marketing agency. What is that? I would say that is probably the number one question we get asked all the time because it fits into so many categories. I think in its entirety, if it was like a headline, it's about creating experiences for customers that aren't traditionally through our, like the more traditional advertising platforms. So it's experience first, always, and that can then take so many iterations and forms. So that could be anything from a massive pop-up shop to a big stunt to guerrilla marketing to in-store experiences for existing kind of brands who've got retail presence so we work across a number of different platforms to create those experiences so it's really like scaling from big all the way down to small and everything within that is experiential so experiential in a nutshell is experiences and it's one-to-one experiences with customers that aren't through tv social media the kind of the print the more traditional advertising in real life that you can touch and feel in real life and, and be part of so you started the business seven years ago what's your background in, and why did you set up backlash yeah so i've been in advertising for 15 years and including the seven years at backlash And I've always been in the creative side of advertising. So I started as art director, moving all the way to creative director, and that spanned across traditional advertising. So anything from TV adverts to shopper marketing to print. And what I kind of saw through that experience is something called experiential was starting to emerge. And the agencies I was with didn't really know what that was. And it was very new kind of just got thrown over to uh, the junior people in the company, (laughs) which was me, to figure out what we can do. What I saw was like, it felt like grand designs, but for advertising, like I had absolute free reign in creating uh, campaigns. I had free reign in creating physical things, in experiences, how I wanted consumers to feel. And that was this massive freedom which you don't normally get when you're working with traditional marketing platforms you normally have this is the campaign these are the kpis these are the things that we want to achieve so i kind of naturally fell into picking up all these experiential briefs it was something i really loved really enjoyed so creative Uh, something that personally i've been craving a lot in the industry was free reign creativity i mean who 
I don't know a creative that wouldn't want that. So um, the blank yeah, page, so- like you were going to a blank page, maybe not a blank checkbook, yeah. but a blank page to create. Exactly. Because marketers weren't entirely sure what the the things that worked and didn't work in that field were it was very much kind of let's just figure it out as we go and then I just started working at purely experiential agencies from there and I became the creative director at my previous agency that I was working at and I was working across all the coca-cola brands so we were doing gold standard coca-cola experiential and that ranged from small sampling budgets all the way up to multi-million pound experiential and that was incredible that was the Christmas Coca-Cola truck going around the UK that was vending machines in train stations that were activated by your smile and so all of that was the things that I was working on and that then led to me setting up my own agency because what I was noticing is that we were getting a lot of briefs from particularly from beauty and fashion and retailers uh, that we couldn't pick up in the big agencies and that was because of budget so they were deemed small budget briefs but as a creative who comes up with ideas first I was always like you can come up with an idea and scale it down and so it felt like there was this whole market that was missing out on really disruptive creative ideas because their budgets weren't deemed big enough so that's when I set up Backlash and our USP is big agency thinking without the price tag. <laughs> so that that's where we got to where we are. And talk me through some of the things that you have, just so people get more of an idea. I know that you mentioned the Coca-Cola side of things, but in terms of maybe some of the smaller types of projects that you get involved in from a retail and beauty point of view. Yes. Yeah, so I would say from our, our smallest projects, We work with retailers directly, so that can be anything from activating one-day events in their stores, and that can be budgets that are under £10,000, and then anything in between beyond that. So, as I said before, there's a number of ways that you can execute experientially, regardless of budget. And we would say that for the smaller budgets, you would look to do something that's more guerrilla and more stunty, then have that more kind of like rough and ready feel around it because it lends itself naturally to that. They're usually then your smaller budget, but you get a bit more bang for your buck. But then if you're an established brand uh, with an aesthetic that you want to replicate, we can then do the smaller events in bricks and mortar, which can talk directly to your existing community and customers. So that's kind of like how we scale things quite a lot. And what's one that stands out to you? as a as a favorite we were actually talking about it yesterday (laughs) your favorite child I don't know yeah we did a a company wrap-up yesterday with everybody and we went through all the projects we've done this year I think we've done about 90 projects this year and that's from responding creatively to live we were going through that and we actually asked a question like what was everybody's favorite and I would say in the last quarter of, of this year Backlash executed some three really big pop-ups and my favorite out of that was the one that we did for Pandora the jewelry brand the reason for that being it ticked so many of those boxes that you always want to do so it was a freestanding pop-up it was located in front of Tower Bridge so PR moments I created the campaign for it so it fitted within their Christmas above the line campaign and then they wanted a 
So explain to me about above the line. Yeah, so that pop-up fitted within the above the line. And when we say above the line, we mean the big advertising. So the TV, so TV, probably more like the YouTube now as well. So it's the film media. So we would call it above the line and they would be your big agencies. So your Sarchies and Sarchies, your your Greys, your Adam and Eves, your BBHs. They're the above the line agencies. They're the ones who will come up with a global campaign that then everything then filters from. So that would be an agency like Backlash would then see what the campaign is for the year. Uh, In this instance, it was Love's Unboxed. We would then take that campaign, their styling, their thinking, and then apply that to our platforms so that you have like a a consistent um, look and feel and language across the the Christmas period uh, for Pandora. So we take that campaign and then for this, we wanted a big experiential moment. So we created a really big pop-up gallery it wasn't a shop and this is why it was interesting because normally when we are creating pop-ups the KPIs on these are about driving sale whereas the KPIs for this was about brand awareness and it was getting people into the experience and how they felt when they engaged with the experience because for Pandora their customers are and it being jewelry are more aligned with how they feel when they buy a product because Normally, when people are buying jewellery, it's for a loved one. So they're going in there with a mind of what would my friend love, my wife, my husband, my partner. So they're already thinking emotionally when they go into a Pandora shop, for instance. So the pop-up that we created was about really pushing that emotional side. So this pop-up was called The Art of Love's. And this was about artistry and creativity. And they're one of the one of many brand pillars that Pandora wants to be known for. Artistry, creativity, bespoke craftsmanship and love. So the pop-up was a gallery. And when you walked inside, I worked with five of the UK's leading artists and from loads of different cultural backgrounds, because that was really important to Pandora, that it felt like we were talking to a wide audience. They were briefed to create bespoke pieces of art inspired by individual pieces of jewellery that were going to feature in the Christmas campaign. So you go in as a customer, you see these beautiful art pieces. And then what we were encouraging you then to do was be inspired Think about the person that you love. And then we had an art studio in the centre. So the art studio in the middle was four touchscreens that then I created all of the all of the customer user experience for. And mm-hmm. you touch the screen, you got taken to a range of pink canvases. You then got a range of brushes and stamps and you got to create your own piece of art. And then you got to dedicate it to a loved one. So you use the screen to kind of write out to my mum, to my boyfriend, uh, thank you for this year. You can be as personal as you wanted it to be. And then you send it. And what that happened was you got a canvas at the end that was digital, but then we printed it out there and then, which created this beautiful wrapping paper for you to then use once you've purchased a Pandora item, you've got bespoke Um, wrapping paper. And then outside of the pop-up had huge screens so it was completely clad with these massive screens and then your art then got put onto the big digital screens outside and everybody in that in that area got to see your art uh, and your personalization and who you dedicated it to 
So there was a massive consumer experience there that was yeah. all about memorable, being memorable, personalization, thinking about who you loved, really interesting uses of technology. People got to walk away with something that was super creative and personal to them. And then they also got that photo moment of their art piece on the exterior. Yeah. And it's really interesting because when we create these experiences, you kind of go into a bit of like, I'm not entirely sure like how like how people are going to engage with this. Is it too complicated? Is it too simple? Are people going to be naughty and like write horrific things on there? So we go into like all of that. How would a consumer think? How does the consumer interact? But we had mass footfall. So we had about one and a half thousand people through that pop up a day. How long was it there for? So that was there for 11 days, mm-hmm. which is also something that we try to encourage our clients to go for. It's expensive, but what's also expensive is creating a pop-up that's only there for one to two days. And then by the time customers have heard about it, it's disappeared. So what we've been doing a lot of this year is trying to get clients familiar with investing in locations for longer periods of time rather than the one to two days, which is quite typical in our in our industry. Other reason why I love that pop-up is we had three engagements outside it. So people use the screens as ways to uh, ask their other half to marry them. <laughs> lovely. Oh, lovely. And how do you come up with the ideas? I know that you said, you know, you think about how does the customer engage with it, but how... You know, and you've got this blank page. I know that you'll have some kind of a brief. And like you say, if you if they've got a marketing campaign to begin with, and then you get your some of your ideas from those themes. But where do you start? Yeah, that is a great question. I would say in like a in a typical process, the, the brief is key to this, but then it is pulling all of the information that I've kind of I have seen over the past like year or two years. And that can be from things I've seen in the news, things that I've seen out and about, stuff that's like going viral on social media, I'll start to kind of pick out things that that I've noticed. So for example, for Pandora, I'd really noticed this movement of people engaging with art a lot more, real colourful pieces I've noticed quite a lot as well, artists having more of a voice, people engaging with that, and people generally wanting something more authentic in their house. So I just kind of seen all that just in passing. And when I saw that Pandora were talking a lot about craftsmanship, artistry, everything being like, it's not just this mass market of jewelry that is pumped out. I was like, that's similar to how an artist works. And the process of how an artist works you start with form and ideas and then you craft them and it's drawing it up and it, it isn't just like done and then it's out of the factory so I kind of was starting to make those links together and I felt like they're the connection between art and jewelry and how the brand talks just linked really nicely so then I just would then start applying all the layers to that okay so what's the experience then it's one thing to have artists and say oh art is like jewelry yeah how is that even interesting to a customer how do you get the customer involved in that you yes they can go and see it so visually they're involved but how do you get the tactile how do you 
make the experience as experiential as it can be you know in terms of all all those touch points then from I know that obviously from an awareness point of view that was their objective and that worked you know and I'm sure there was more in terms of social media tags all that kind of thing do you get to see you know do they say yes we reach those KPIs or do you get right we want to make sure that we reach these type of people or this number of people or we, we get to see these kind of sales do you get that information back from the brand? Yes so we're actually part of that process so the back end of our kind of services is reporting so we're responsible for kind of sharing that information with the client so at the very beginning of each project we need to understand the target audience firstly so you'd also be surprised how many target audiences are between 18 to 35 as well which is very broad so we often try and kind of narrow that down so who are your actual target audiences who's purchasing versus who is the audience you actually want to talk to so there's a little bit of interrogation there you know are you an existing brand that a younger audience doesn't engage with okay so then is your KPI that you want more brand awareness or is it that you want to talk to your existing customers and you want to generate sales so for us the reporting side is very much led with what the client wants to achieve at the very start and the KPIs as I say they could be I need full brand awareness. People don't know about us enough or a younger audience don't know about us enough and we want to shift that. Or I've got this brand new product. I want to launch it. I'm going to sample it, test it, and I want to see how many sales we can generate from that. So when we come to the back end of it, we can then show how much footfall we got through the the pop-up. And we can also demonstrate the age brackets of that footfall. If it's about retail, we'll be demonstrating how much sales was generated and then buzz and brand awareness. So how much of the content that people taking on their phones was shared as well. So there's lots of different criteria that Experiential does very well. So, yeah, they're kind of the broad strokes. (laughs) Yeah. And what's the smallest budget that you've worked on? I would say our smallest budgets are about four to six thousand pounds and they'll typically be sampling I would say so that would be potentially the hiring of kit so that might be I don't know what you call it maybe an ice cream cart for example and then within the ice cream cart we'll stop samples what we'll do then is wrap it design the exterior make it on brand give some location advice and then uh, activate with a staff member. So they're typically the kind of the smaller ends, but sampling is great because if it's a product that's new, like people love a freebie. (laughs) So if you want to get product in hand, sampling is great. But with sampling, you have to be at the right locations as well. Um, So for example, if it's makeup, you don't want to be in areas where it's a really mixed age group and genders you'd want to be somewhere more specific so if it was a gen z you might want to be more east london way if it's your older audiences say 35 plus you might want to be more west london so it's things like that yeah yeah. and everything yeah yeah so i'd say sampling is a great one for small budgets but then also if you're a uh, an existing brand that's got bricks and mortar shops so physical stores having community events in your shop is great because people are looking to be rewarded for being loyal to brands Uh, and community days are a really good way of doing that so it's giving back to your existing fans 
anybody who's signed up for newsletters or rewards cards or have spent X amount over the year, that's yeah. a really good way of reaching out and, and creating that loyalty and securing that loyalty even more to your brand. And what have you seen? Because you work, like you said, you mentioned retail and beauty. What are the things that work for both? What kind of works more for fashion and retail side of things versus what you've seen that works for beauty? Or is there a difference? Are you ready to scale your e-commerce store? Want to do it without having to wear yet another hat and become a digital marketing expert? This episode is brought to you by Neon Digital Clicks, the paid traffic partner for family and women's e-commerce brands wanting to scale their stores from five-figure to six-figure months using Meta, Google, and Klaviyo marketing services. Neon is offering listeners a free scaling audit worth £3,000. So whether your sales have plateaued or you're looking for growth, this is a great opportunity to lift the lid on your business and identify where the opportunities are hiding. Head to scalingglow.com to discover just how much revenue you could scale your store to this year. Yeah, I think there is a difference. And the, the difference being that beauty moves so quickly. So typically our beauty brands are launching a, a new product once a month, maybe. So we're always moving really quickly with that. So I would say that our our beauty clients we work slightly differently to to fashion because the fashion brands we work with are usually have longer lasting collections and have longer lead up to launching those collections so for beauty it's more about disruption so it's coming up with concepts that are gonna stand out from the noise of the other brands who are also launching similar items so that would be the investment for that would be more in the creative big bang moment whereas for fashion I would say we're looking at something that is more I would say like physically striking so less of an experience and more of a wow that looks really cool I want to go there it's going to be there slightly longer so the beauty kind of world is more about those instant wins the surprise and delights I didn't expect that what like what am I doing what can I get involved in what freebies can I get and what can I share I've got the latest product I've got it first that kind of like dialogue whereas fashion is it's more the approach to this is more considered and it's about long-term investment it's about wanting to feel like a part of something as for, for a consumer they want to see maybe something that they've not seen in other shops so in a fashion pop-up, what are the things there that they can, can only get their hands on at that pop-up versus just going to store? And I would say that they're both really fun areas for customers because fashion and beauty is really exciting area to work in and customers get that and they expect that. They expect something yeah. different and they expect beauty to be doing something you know, crazy and unexpected. And they expect fashion to be kind of pushing the boundaries of what no one's done before as well. So again, there's this kind of creative freedom in them, but they are they are different worlds and how clients work are different as well. And if you were to say, right, this is my checklist, what does a good experience look like? Good experience has to lead with a strong concept. So for me, also biased because I'm the creative director, but... When I look at pop-ups and not just through the backlash sphere of what we do, the pop-ups that stand up out time and time again and the experiences and experiential that stands out are the ones that people are like, I get it. 
I've got it instantly. As soon as I've looked at it, I get that it's a Barbie beach. I get, you know, and it's like any form of advertising. If you can engage the customer within those first few seconds and people understand what it is, you've got them hooked in. If it's an experience where it looks very retail, I would say, people are not aware that that is an experience that's going to not be there in a few days time. So they're the difference of approach. So I would say if with experiential and pop-up, you're expecting theatre, you're expecting creative, you're expecting to be kind of pushed into a world of that brand. For example, uh, Beauty Pie, we did the warehouse of dreams and customers were invited to take part in a shift at the warehouse and they had their hard hats and their high vis and they had their clipboard to do a stock take and the stock take was adding products that they loved to their list to purchase at the end versus if you do a a pop-up that is very this is how we would do it if we had a permanent shop people just don't make that connection they see permanent retail that'll be there in a few months I'll pop in oh that'll be interesting so I would say that the checklist for me is you have to lead with a disruptive creative idea or design and what are the challenges or risks that you've experienced or that you've kind of come across with planning these and and running these kind of this type of marketing yeah I would say the biggest risks for us is weather and that yeah. sounds like that might not be the most like scientific like marketing term for it, but weather. So <laughs> if we are doing a pop-up, and I would say there's a 50-50 split between ones that are in shops and ones that are coming, we're doing stunts or we're creating shops outside in Covent Garden. The weather is the biggest factor for us. A lot of clients want to go live in summer and summer to us is this beautiful sunshine. It's not... <laughs> We'll be building in the rain. And yeah, it's, I'd say for us, that's the biggest consideration for us when we're doing any kind of experience is the time of year that we are going live and what's appropriate for that time of year. Because if it's raining or it's snowing or whatever's happening uh, in the UK at that time, we have to factor in health and safety into these things. Because, for example, if we've got the Barbie beach and it's raining, have we considered that the floor is non-slip? Have we got customers entering a pop-up that because it's rained for two days is now unsafe? So whenever we approach experiential, we have to we have to kind of think of everything that, that could potentially go wrong and make sure that when customers are engaging with the pop-up, they're looked after at all costs, be it with the floor, having railings, making sure that uh, we've got disability access. So we, we consider lots of things like that. Yeah. How does it help complement other marketing strategies then? I would say that for a number of years, we have really, really tried to to push experiential into clients' marketing plans for the year. Because I think for a a number of years, experiential was a little bit of an afterthought when it came to uh, budget spends and marketing plans, because clients weren't entirely sure how successful it could be. It's an expensive marketing form, you know. It requires, you know, quite a lot of investment up front. And if you're a brand that's not done it before, it feels like, mm, you know, I can spend that in areas where I know I'm going to have like eyes on the TV. I'm going to be seen on social media. But there's a number of ways that it fits. So, for example, we create experiences that fit within brand campaigns. So if there, if it's a large brand and we've got 
loads of different marketing channels popping off at the same time, experiential is the perfect way to kind of bring that campaign physically to life. And then I would say you also don't need a campaign. So for example, if you're launching a product, that's going to be, we're just focusing on that product. There's not going to be a global campaign for that or a, a calendar of events around this one product. Yeah. So experiential is a really good way to kind of do that for you. So when we create events, pop-ups, stunts, whatever that is, we create it through an agency lens. So this is where the advertising backgrounds kind of come in. We don't want to create anything that people are just going to kind of see once. They're never going to think about it or see it again. So what we'll do is create a pre-awareness piece beforehand. We'll have the event. We'll have people coming down to promote that event for us. This could be for anyone from content creators or brand ambassadors or rewarding customers to share. We have the event and then we have pre-awareness as well. So we create a small campaign around that that experience and when we're designing the event we always keep in mind that this needs to be shareable and cool like people want to see it and be like oh I saw this it was really cool from just talking about that pre-awareness that you talked about because I think some people launch products some people in small business community will launch product and it will just be like ta-da but that pre-awareness that you talked about how how much of a build-up do you do either in time or activity before the event itself yeah so it depends I would say so for example just going back to the beauty pie warehouse of dreams we skinned the windows of that pop-up for the whole week leading up to that event so when we're inside the pop-up we're it's a building site we don't want customers to see that so we'll put up pre-awareness in the window so people know that something's coming and then around that site there was then um, media takeovers. So we had, there was paste up posters, there was Covent Garden, Tube Station, poster takeovers for the digital sites. And then all around the kind of like area ricocheting out, we had lots of different kind of media takeovers for that. And then Beauty Pie, because they're a online only brand, they, they utilize their own social channels and their newsletters to promote that event. And this would have been like, we're talking maybe one week, two weeks, three weeks ahead of the pop-up going live. And that was amazing because they've got an existing community um, through the newsletters, through their social media channels that they could then talk to directly and get excited about the pop-ups. And they also did community day. So before the pop-up opened up to customer, they had one morning where they invited their existing community. So their big spenders, people who engage with them all the time to the pop-up. So they got like their, their VIP kind of treatment day as well. Yeah. And how can it help build a long-term, I mean, whether this is something that you get involved in, but in building that long-term engagement or interaction with a brand from experiential marketing? Yeah, I would say experiential marketing is one of the best ways to create long-term fans because it's about emotional connection. That's the holy grail of experiential is there are no other ways of having a one-to-one interaction with your customer. So when people come into these pop-ups or experiential sites, they are looking to understand your brand. They're there, you've got them in your sites. So 
what is it that you're going to say to them? What's that conversation you're going to have with the customer? Because now's the opportunity to have that. So, you know, I would say emotionally, those shoppers are ready to learn about your brand and they want to come away knowing something that they didn't know before. So if that, for example, is Pandora, I came away with something beautiful and bespoke for a loved one. Or if it is Nick's, the Nick's Barbie uh, collaboration, God, that brand's really cool. And, you know, they collaborated with Barbie and I got a slushy and sunglasses and they really, it was so much fun. You automatically are going to associate Nick's with fun, disruptive, colorful, like finger on the pulse with collaborations. That's how you communicate to your customers. And that's what creates these loyalties because Nick's wouldn't have had that emotional engagement through a social media ad that they have through that pop-up. Yeah. For people that are doing this for themselves, then if they're not ready to work with you yet, how would you say for them to approach it? I would say that you need to think about what is the one thing that you want people to know about you, your brand or, or your product. And it's about having that singular kind of thought or message that you you want to kind of communicate because it's really easy especially marketing to kind of want to say we've got a new brand and then we've got oh we're launching two new products and we're vegan and we're b corp and we're six years old and (laughs) you know you get you get all of these messages but it's approaching it like advertising like traditional advertising What's your headline? What is that that you want people to go, oh, actually, that's what I want people to remember me for. So I think if you have that singular thought, everything else could kind of fall in under that. I'm just trying to think of like a good example of that. Because obviously I get targeted by brands quite a lot on social media, especially. But there's a deodorant company that's the cream deodorant. I think they're called AKT or ACT. So I would say there's... A brand that I've seen on my social media channels and I get targeted by brands quite a lot from obviously just the nature of the work we do, especially in beauty. But this one cuts through my social media all the time and it's because they stick to their one messaging constantly. And it's, um, I think it's pronounced ACT, but it's A-K-T and they're a deodorant balm and they're cream. So instead of it being like a spray or a roll-on, it's a cream. So instantly that's the thing that they they put at the forefront it's this cream balm and then they have somebody who has this little um, metal pin and it attaches to the top and it rolls down so it pushes the balm out and visually it is so satisfying to see and they run with that and they do not deter from that and it's examples like that where it's like they've noticed that is that's their niche that's what makes them different and then when you click on it to find out more you find oh actually it's founder owned it's founded by two guys from the West End and that came from their background of being dancers and always having to apply deodorant and it never lasting. And so I'm hooked because I'm seeing this reoccurring visual language constantly. So I would say that that they're not a massive brand and yeah. they cut through all of the noise of all the other beauty brands that I uh, see on a daily basis. So yeah, you don't have to have massive budgets or media spends you just have to be true to who you are and what makes you different and and I think like you said at the beginning at the beginning and throughout the conversation knowing what you want 
the purpose of the marketing to do so is it sales is it awareness obviously you would hope with the awareness comes sales anyway but also instead of trying to target that 18 to 35 or whatever that you know well we appeal to everyone who is it that you want to you know really target for that that purpose or that timeline but like you say whether it's new customers or a new younger customer or or whatever i'd imagine you know what's the best brief that you can get from an instruction point of view, look, when you give a brief, do you have say, right, we need to know X, Y, Z? Is that what you, when you're working with people? Yeah. So when we work with with clients, we'll get a brief from them and that's their kind of version of, of what they want to do. And then we really have to interrogate that because, yeah, as I say, it will be like, okay, we've got 25 products and we've got all of this and da, da, da. And then we, we end up with a very noisy brief where we just need to figure out, okay, if we often ask this question actually to clients, what is the one thing you want this pop-up to achieve? And that is normally the foundation then of our brief, because if there's just one thing you want to happen, that's where we're going to lead. And then we also ask questions, what are the things you don't want to happen? And that also helps us out as well, because Creativity brings out the fun in in people. We also need a bit of a barometer as to how fun and weird and wild you want to go. So you know, if <laughs> yeah, if you if you don't want, for example, just try to think of weird things. But like, <laughs> if you if you don't want a, a lorry of puppies that people can pet, we need to know that. If that's your worst nightmare, um, yeah, we yeah, need yeah, to know that. <laughs> And where where can people find more out about Backlash and working with you? So our main hub, I would say, is uh, Instagram, because we are always updating Instagram with all of our latest projects. So that's at Backlash Creative. And then our website, which is backlash.co.uk. There are two ways of getting hold of us, which have to more fans. <laughs> where do you see experiential going? I actually did a trends report this week and one of the questions was where is experiential going and I think it's going to be taking over more of the high street on a regular basis so a lot of kind of chatter at the minute is about the high street's dead okay so Mm. with experiential it doesn't have to be dead because we have all these amazing spaces and units that are now available for brands to take over and the beauty of that is that brands can take them over for a week two days four weeks eight weeks six months so you then have a high street that people want to visit more often because it changes all the time and some of the research that we've been looking at especially with gen z is that roughly 88 percent of gen z are actively looking to go out and visit shops but what they want to see is not the traditional kind of format they want something that is more tailored to them so what they're going to get at this shop uh, that's different to me just buying something online and that can be yeah anything from personalization to items that they can't get online they can only get at shop Um, and experiential can really utilize that as well so if you're an existing brand with multiple shops on the high street you can do a pop-up that's completely different very conceptual the fun side of your brand or the serious side of your brand you you can bring that to life for a short period of time in amazing locations around the UK that you would not have been able to have five six years ago so I think it'll be the change of the high street and I think experiential will play a really big part of that as well 
Amazing. Thank you so much for being my, I find it a really fascinating, interesting subject. Cause I love that type of marketing as well. And it, you know, it's so tactile and getting involved and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it on the high street. And I will be back again next week with another great guest. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Start, Scale, Succeed. If you've enjoyed today, I would love for you to leave a review and I will see you again next week. If you'd like to hear more from me, your host, Nicole Higgins, you can follow me on Instagram at The Buying Retail Coach. Check out my website, www.thebuyingretailcoach.com or find me on LinkedIn. All the links are below in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter, The Step, for lots of helpful tips and advice.